Father, we come to your word. We need to hear from you this morning. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. And we confess as a church that you are our Lord, you are our rock, and you are our Redeemer. Thank you that you have spoken to us perfectly in the written word, and you've spoken to us clearly in the living word, our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us now as we come to hear from the God of the universe to accept these truths and to be able to internalize them, to be able to live them out by your Spirit. Thank you for your word, Lord, for this passage that we come to today. Help us to see your glory in it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Christian life is a battle. It's a battle. We are at, at peace with God. We're at peace with God but we are not at peace with our flesh. We're not at peace with this world and its systems. We're not at peace with the devil and his, his demonic horde. Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, is equipping the Israelites for war. And they are poised, ready to enter into the land of Canaan, just outside of the Jordan, Jericho, just a few miles away. And he is preaching in the book of Deuteronomy to the Israelites, ready to take the land, to go to war. And they needed to be encouraged. They needed to be exhorted. They needed to be preached at by a preacher, a preacher named Moses. And Moses does three sermons in the book of Deuteronomy. The first sermon goes through chapter 4, and it's a sermon of remembrance. He's, remind, he's trying to stir up the people of Israel to remember the past, to remember their past sins so they don't repeat the same mistake. And to remember how faithful their God has been every step of the way, to remember the character of God in the past and to grab a hold of it. And today, as we almost finish out the Sermon of Remembrance, he's stirring up that next generation of Israel poised to go to war. He's stirring them up to remember the past victories to remember the past victories. And so we come today to look at the conquest of two kings, 
two kings that were outside of the land of Canaan. And that has already happened. They've already conquered them, and they are to remember how God worked in the conquering of those kings as they go to war in the land of Canaan. So, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy. Our text will be verses uh, 2, starting at verse 24, and we're going to read to Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 11. So, find verse 24. And you have a map, and this is the time to use it, so we're going to try to dim the lights. I just want to point out, you have a map, and when I read, you're not going to be able to trace a lot of stuff, but just notice up here, look on your map, down south, right here, Edom, Moab, Ammon, they've passed around those. those they, didn't, they weren't allowed to fight Edom, Moab, and Ammon because of the relationship to Lot and the relationship to Abraham and the promises God had made to those nations. So they obeyed and they went around those nations. However, in order to get into Jericho, the kingdom of Sihon and the kingdom of Og stood in the way. And today we address those, the conquest of those two regions. So we'll see the town of Heshbon and the town of Edri mentioned in our text. Don't worry about all the other names, just focus on those two as we move forward. Okay, look at verse 24. And it might be helpful to circle key words or to, to think about some of the things and allow the Holy Spirit to use the reading of His Word as we go through this text. So Moses preaches... He's in the middle of the sermon, he says, Arise, verse 24 of chapter 2, Arise, set out, and pass through the valley of Arnon. Look, I have given Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land into your hand. Begin to take possession and contend with him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the peoples everywhere under the heavens, who... When they hear the report of you, will tremble and be in anguish because of you. So I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedemoth to Sihon, king of Heshbon, with words of peace, saying, Let me pass through your land. I will travel only on the highway. I will not turn aside to the right or to the left. You will sell me food for money so that I may eat and give me water for monies so that I may drink, only let me pass through on foot, just as the sons of Esau who lived in Seir and the Moabites who lived in Ar did for me, until I cross over the Jordan into the land which the Lord our God is giving to us. Verse 30, but Sihon king of Heshbon was not willing for us to pass through his land, for the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate in order to deliver him into your hand as he is today. The Lord said to me, See, I have begun to deliver Sihon and his land over to you. Begin to occupy that you may possess his land. Then Sihon, with all his people, came out to meet us in battle at Jahaz. The Lord our God delivered him over to us, and we defeated him with his sons and all his people. So we captured all his cities at that time and utterly destroyed the men, women, and children of every city. We left no survivor. 
We took only the animals as our booty and the spoil of the cities which we had captured. From Eror, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, and from the city which is in the valley, even to Gilead, there was no city that was too high for us. The Lord our God delivered all over to us. Only you did not go near to the land of the sons of Ammon, all along the river Jabbok and the cities of the hill country, and wherever the Lord our God had commanded us. Okay, so that was the account of the first king, Sihon, who was destroyed. Now we go to heading north to the kingdom of Og, verse 1 of chapter 3. Then we turned and went up the road to Bashan, and Og, king of Bashan, with all his people, came out to meet us in battle at Edri. But the Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all his people and his land into your hand. And you shall do to him just as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon. So the Lord our God delivered Og also, king of Bashan, with all his people into our hand. And we smote them until no survivor was left. We captured all his cities at that time. There was not a city which we did not take away from them. Sixty cities, all the region of Argob, the kingdom of Og and Bashan. All these were cities fortified with high walls, gates, and bars, besides a great many unwalled towns. We utterly destroyed them as we did to Sihon, king of Heshbon, utterly destroying the men, women, and children of every city. But all the animals and the spoil of the cities we took as our booty. Thus we took the land at that time from the hand of the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, from the valley of Arnon to Mount Hermon. Sidonians call Hermon Syrian, and the Amorites call it Sinir. All the cities of the plateau and all Gilead and all Bashan, as far as Salakah and Edri, cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan. Verse 11, For only Og, king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. Behold, his bedstead was an iron bedstead. It is in Rabbah of the sons of Ammon. Its length was nine cubits, and its width four cubits by ordinary cubit. Here is what Moses is preaching by reminding the Israelites of those past victories. He's saying this, and there's a timeless principle for us today, the people of God. We must remember past victories if we're going to pursue future conquest. Or to say it another way, to do battle into the future starting this week, tomorrow, on Monday, to do battle this week, we must remember past victories accomplished in our lives by a faithful God. We've got to remember the past if we're going to press forward into the future. If you want to know about men, women, and children 
being destroyed in the dispossession of land, you'll have to wait till Deuteronomy chapter 7 when the text for a whole chapter addresses that. If you want to find out about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and lots of other fun things like that, you're going to have to wait. We're going to preach the main point of this text and we'll have to pick up some of those other themes as we come to them in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, Moses is inviting us in this passage to really think deeply in our remembrance of our past victories as the people of God. He's inviting us to think very deeply and I think to unpack five aspects of these past victories in our walk with God. So first... As we walk through these five aspects, they form kind of one sentence if you put all of these aspects together into one sentence at the end. Number one, as we reflect on past victories, we are to remember that victory was certain. Victory was certain. So as the Israelites head north to conquer the mountainous lands of the Amorites, There's a repeated refrain. It's mentioned at least seven times in this passage that I read. And it's this, I have given. I have given Sihon. I have given Og. I have given the Amorites. I have given. Verse 24, I have given Sihon into your hand. Verse 2 of chapter 3, do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all his people and his land into your hand. You say, wait a minute. They haven't fought the battle yet. But God speaks with a tense. It's called the the perfect tense. It's It's something that happens in the past. It's a settled state. I have given. It's a done deal. I've given that in the past. The victory over Sihon and Og was won in the past. It was as good as done. God's Word had told them the truth that the battle had been won. I have given you victory. This is the Word of the living God. I have given it to you. Faith, faith grabs hold of the Word of God especially the stuff, the promises in the perfect tense. I have done this. I have accomplished this for you. Faith grabs hold of truth in the Word of God. Unbelief also works with information. Unbelief works with information as well. Unbelief works with lies and distortions and half-truths. Turn back one page to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 27. Let's see this happen. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 27. Recounting the failure of the first generation. Look what they did. Deuteronomy 1, verse 27, And you grumbled in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us. Was that true? The Lord hates us? 
and has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Is that true? That God delivered them out of Egypt so that they might be destroyed? But that's, a, that's exactly the opposite of the truth. And the, Israel, the first generation of Israelites, we, they were believing something. They were believing lies. Unbelief believes lies. Let me say that again. Write it down. Unbelief believes lies. Two days ago in my devotions, I was wrestling through this passage, as you can see, read it. And I'm, I'm asking God, what are the promises of God for my life? Where has God told me in the perfect tense something that's been settled for me as part of the people of God? Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. Stay in Deuteronomy, but quickly go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, find verse 18. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Okay, now let's move down to verse 28 of Romans chapter 20, of Romans chapter 8. And we know, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. Why? Verse 29, for those whom He foreknew... He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. There it is. There's the good victory that God has promised on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. It is that you, as a Christian, are, are being conformed into the image of Christ by everything that you face in your life. And we need to talk more if that doesn't get you excited being conformed to the image of Christ. We need to think it through together. If that victory, that promised victory doesn't get us excited. Because that's it. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, of his son, so that he would become the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. So certain that our glorification is written about in the past tense. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress 
or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And why is that? Because of one perfect tense word that you can take to the bank that Jesus said near His last breath on the cross, of Calvary, tetelestai, which is better translated, it has been finished. A state of being finished, completely finished. Victory is certain. Sin is going to die. Satan is finished. This world system is overthrown. And it's certain because of the cross and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, just like Sihon and Og, by faith, were certainly defeated before they were defeated because of the word of the living God. Now, let me ask you some questions. Number one question. Was Satan and sin and death defeated at the cross and resurrection of Christ. Come on. Was the head of Satan crushed at the death and resurrection of Christ? What does Romans 16.20 mean then? Which says, the God of peace, Romans 16.20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So, you're right. The crushing of Satan's head has happened at the cross and resurrection. It's certain, but Satan's head needs to be crushed under our feet. And that leads us to our second aspect of the reminder from Moses' sermon, the reminder of past victories. So, let's just, let's rehearse it. Victory was certain, yet we, yet we had to fight. That's the second point. We had to fight. Verse 24, everyone look at verse 24, back to Deuteronomy, chapter 2. If you're not there, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 24. Arise, set out, and pass through the valley of Arnon. Look, I have given Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land into your hand. Begin to take possession and contend with him in battle. Brothers and sisters, there are six commands in one verse. Rise up, set out, go over, begin take possession, contend. It's time for war. It's time for battle. It's time for movement. It's time to move north. 
It's time to get going. It's a time for action. It's time to move by faith on the promises of God. On the, on the present, on, I have given him. You move on the promise that is smack dab with three commands on each side of it. In verse 24. So you think about that first battle with Sihon. There was negotiation. They'd maybe pass around and take some food and water, but the negotiation failed. We know sovereignly it was ordained of God to fail. And the war began. The battle was, must be fought, and it was fought. Let's look at it in verse 32. Here's the battle with Sihon, the first king. Verse 32, Then Sihon with all his people came out to meet us in battle at Jahaz. The Lord our God delivered him over to us, and we defeated him with his sons and all his people. So we captured all his cities at that time and utterly destroyed the men, women, and children of every city. We left no survivor. Did they fight? And against Og, verse 3. So the Lord our God delivered Og also, verse 3 of chapter of the next chapter, king of Bashan, with all his people into our hand, and we smote them until no survivor was left. We captured all his cities at that time. There was not a city which we did not take from them. Sixty cities, all the region of Argob, the kingdom of Og and Bashan. All these were cities fortified with high walls, gates and bars, besides a great many unwalled towns. We utterly destroyed them as we did to Sihon, king of Heshbon, utterly destroying the men, women, and children of every city. So, apply this to today. We think of our past victories and our walk with Jesus Christ. Victory was certain, yet we had to fight. There is going to be a battle. This is so encouraging to me. I look around this room and I see one word. I see, I see weariness a lot of time. I see battle, a fight. We're struggling against what? Our own sin. We feel the weight of temptation. We are completely under the pressure of this culture and the pressure teens from our peers on how nice it would feel for once in our lives to fit in to not feel awkward and we feel this and we get tired of it and i want to encourage you that is you are if you're feeling like that and you're feeling feeling weary in the battle Praise God, you're in the battle. It's a struggle. It's a fight. We have to be encouraged by this. I mean, there is warfare going on in our lives to destroy our soul, to destroy our families. I mean, think about it. Why is it so hard to love one another? Why is it so hard to be kind to your sibling? Why is it so impossible to, be, to obey your parents or just the way they say it? And how Satan tries to make an inroad 
into our families, into our marriages, into, into this church, and we see the battle ra- raging. And I want to encourage you, if the battle is raging, if you're fighting against your sin, praise the Lord, you're in. You're in. It's a war. But we got to fight. We got to fight. We must take captive not every Amorite, but we must take captive every thought in obedience to Jesus Christ. Every thought. It's not going to feel good to do that. It's not going to feel good to get up in the morning and spend time with the Lord in the Word and in prayer. It's going to be war. It's going to be battle. It's going to be struggle. I think that's strangely encouraging. Because, look, if we loved Him, shouldn't we like it? You don't need to turn there, but I want to remind you in this context of battle, of a familiar passage. If you're fast, you can turn. But you just listen. It's familiar. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Listen. Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which is with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And if you're not convinced that the war is still going on and the devil is not active in this world, certainly not bound, Consider 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith. Wait a minute. I thought his head was crushed. The victory is certain yet We must fight. The crushing is certain, but we must crush. The battle is going to be won, but we must fight. And it's a fight right here. And here. Here first. Between the eyes. What are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the truth of God's Word? Or are you going to believe a close, satanic counterfeit. It's a truth battle. And we take up the sword of the Spirit, the only offensive weapon that we have, the living and enduring Word of God. And 
And it's not very glamorous. How is this battle fought daily? Let me, give, let me just tell you about William Carey for a minute. William Carey is one of uh, Dan and my heroes, William Carey. He's a missionary, brilliant man, translated the Bible into several languages, really the father of modern missions, you could say, traveling to India, serving in India for years and years. William Carey was a professor at the College of Fort William and had learned three uh, Indian languages and had translated the scriptures into 36 languages and produced a massive dictionary and all kinds of other things we could talk about. But getting there and doing that was not glamorous. It seemed to William Carey that at the end of his ministry, he did so much for the Lord, but at the end of his ministry, people praised him and he just kind of sat there and And said this, and I quote, I am just a plotter. I am just a plotter. Brothers and sisters, that's the battle. Daily plotting away. Day by after day, simple decisions, believing the promises, seeking God, getting up, saying no, Asking for forgiveness, everyday faithfulness is how we fight the battle. That's why I'm glad for the women's retreat this fall on the topic of everyday faithfulness. And thankful that Glenna Marshall will be here to teach this to our women. I just don't think we have real expectations. There's going to be bruises, there's going to be cuts, there's going to be scars, it's going to hurt, it's going to be difficult, it's plotting and it's praying day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, decision by decision, we plod forward together as a family in faith. And Israel, as they look back, they were to look back at this past remembrance of the victories of these two kings. And they were to say to themselves, God had done this in the past for us. He can do it again. He didn't get lucky. He'll do it again. We're going to believe His promises. So, as they were to remember, they were to remember that the victory was certain, yet they had to fight. And, number three, the enemies were formidable. Formidable. Okay, the enemies in this passage were two of them. There were um, fortified cities and giants. So I'm not going to belabor this point. But we know from looking at the, at the last chapter of the first generation in Deuteronomy 1 verse 28, they were really afraid of the size of the people and the fortification of the cities. So like in Deuteronomy 1, verse 28, where can we go up? Our, our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified to heaven. And besides, we saw the sons of the Anakim there. That's the worst giants of all. So it's just fortified cities. It's giants. And so Moses, in his sermon, of course, 
God's given us these past victories. Guess what? He's kind of sarcastic about it too. Kind of rubbing the giants in their face. Kind of rubbing the cities in their face. Not, not in a mean way, but in a pastoral way. Maybe so gently they didn't even see it coming. So look at what Moses does to bring back their enemies in verse 34. So we captured all his what? We captured all his cities at that time. From Eror, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon. And from the city which is in the valley, even to Gilead. There was, there was no city that was too high for us. Do you see what he's doing? There was no city that was too fortified for us or too high for us. We captured all of his cities at that time. There was not a city which we did not take from them. He says it again. Sixty cities, all the region of Argob, the kingdom of Og and Bashan. All these cities fortified with high walls, gates and bars, besides a great many unwalled towns. Could you be more emphatic, Moses? He's saying, what you were afraid of was no problem for God. And let me talk about the giants. You want to talk about giants? Og, he was the king of the giants. You say, why does he talk about Og's bed? Because they were afraid of giants. He's reminding them of God's past victories. And so he speaks about Og, the size of Og. No one was as formidable than Og. Doesn't the name Og just sound big? If you have a 14-pound baby, I hope none of you have had a 14-pound baby, you name him Og. You just do it. So Moses reminds them about this king. If any person was Superman, it is this man. The last verse, verse 11 of chapter 3, for only Og, king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephaim, of that giant race. Behold, his bedstead was an iron bedstead, and it is in Rabbah. If you want to go look in the museum, you can see it in Rabbah. He's buried under the ground, but you can see his bed. And remind yourself that God is a giant conqueror. His bed was nine cubits and it's width four cubits by an ordinary cubit. 13.5 feet tall by six feet wide the size of his bed. And there's some sarcasm in this whole thing. He's saying, do you remember what God has done? No city too high. No giant, even the biggest giant of all. Og stood before Yahweh and His promises. Now our enemies are also overwhelming and big. They're too much for us. The, we we kind of call our enemies the world, the flesh, and the devil. I dare say the one in the middle of the flesh that gets worked over by the world, and I, think, I don't think Christians can be possessed, but we certainly, I think, lies can be implanted. The flesh, the enemy within. What a bummer. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, the next verse, thanks be to God, right? Who gives us the victory. Lust, laziness, fear of people. 
And then the world system and its commercials that creates discontentment and the comparisons and the financial pressure, the media and its cultural assault. And then it's our own inside again. And if it's not sin, it's the curse of sin ravaging our body with disability and cancer. And it's the world system and the false religions that are being pushed on us, the LGBTQ plus religion, cultural oppression upon our fourth graders. It is, well, Luke calls them thorns. The worries of this life, the riches of this life, the pleasures of this life. In the last sermon in the book of Luke, Jesus must take first place over our pleasures, first place over our priorities, first place over our past. He's constantly addressing the enemies of our soul. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Brothers and sisters, go read screw tape letters and see how the temptations interact with our flesh and the, out, the forces of darkness. Go see Nefarious, a modern day adaptation of something like the screw tape letters, if you want to see the dark forces working with the flesh and the battle that rages on in our culture. Let me tell you something. This is war. First Peter chapter one verse eleven. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust which wage war against the soul. Are the fleshly lusts neutral and passive? Is the devil and the lies neutral and passive? Is our culture neutral and passive? So we must not be neutral and passive. We must fight. It is the struggle of faith. This is the whole of the Christian life. We've got to remember this. Victory was certain, yet we had to fight, and the enemies were formidable. But God was with us, working inside hearts. Now I want to pick this up next time, this point. So let me just say a couple words about God being with us and working inside hearts, this point. And I'm going to move on. We'll get to it next week. God does... God's not like, I've done the perfect tense. I've wound you up like a clock. Go get him, tiger. No. God is the one fighting for us. God says, guess what? I'm going to work in your heart. I'm going to work in the heart of your enemies. I'm going to work in their hearts. I'm going to work in providence. I'm going to work. I'm going to be working. I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to go in, I'm going to fight for you. Praise God, we've got that God was with us in those past battles, working inside hearts. And you notice that in our passage, verse 25 of chapter 2 This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the peoples everywhere. That's God working in the hearts. You may not understand it, I may not either most days. 
and we can talk about it later, but Sihon, king of Heshbon, was not willing for us to pass through his land. For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate in order to deliver him into your hand as he is today. God is at work even in the hearts of our enemies, hardening hearts, causing fear, giving over, strengthening our hearts. He is before us. He is behind us. Do we still have to fight? Philippians chapter 2, listen very carefully, verse 12, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But aren't you glad we have the next verse? Verse 13, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Oh, we are called, our ultimate priority in this life is to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is. It's everywhere. And it's our great commission. Our great commission is to go and to make disciples, right? Baptizing them and teaching them and all of that. But aren't you great? It's not just the great commission. It's what's before it and what's after it. Well, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Then go. And then he says, and lo, I will be with you all the day, even to the end of the age. The presence and the power of Christ fights for us. And so, we can bring the outline together as we wrap this up. As we look back at the past victories, remember the past victories in our lives in order to press forward. That's our theme. Here's what we are to remember. Victory was certain, yet we had to fight and the enemies were formidable. But God was working with us, God was with us working inside hearts so that, number five, God gave total victory. Moses wants us to remember the past victories in our lives and he gives the details of these past victories to the to the Israelites they've already won the battles but he reminds them of all of the cities Gilead and Al-Bashan remember he says as far as Salaka to Edri the king he just goes through the details stirring them up to remember the past victories and the details of those things and I think there's something there for us brothers and sisters we, when we think of the past, we're filled with regret. When we think of the past, we're supposed to, instead of be filled with regret, we're supposed to remember how God has worked and to remember the details of those things, how God has answered prayer. I mean, do you remember, dear brother and sister, Christian, how he brought you to faith in Jesus? The details of that. Do you remember how God has answered prayers in your life? Let me give you one of my stories. In 2005, and i got to go quick. So I felt called to ministry. I was in Chicago running a radiology department, running an MRI center. I was kind of at the pinnacle of my career. And God, but God had called me to ministry, and he just wouldn't go. And so we decided we're going to move. It's 2005, right before the crash, the mortgage crash. So we're like, okay, we're praying about it right till the cows come home, looking for some kind of a sign and said, you know what? We got nothing. We're going to have to walk forward in faith. 
Uh-oh. So we did. We set up 13 housing showings around the Lakeville area. We figured if we're going to plant in Lakeville, we should probably buy a house in Lakeville. So we went ahead and we looked at 13 houses one weekend. Mind you, all I had promised was a, sorry, TCBC, a small stipend and a big family. So we looked at 13 houses. We picked one, and we said we were going to meet at Devani's to put an offer on that house. And back in those days, you could, even without a job, as long as you had the doctor in front of your name. Remember it? Well, that's why it crashed. But that's another story. But in any event, we had a stipend and 13 houses. We picked one. We were about to write an offer on that house a half hour before I wrote an offer on a house. My old boss from Northwestern Health Sciences University calls me up and says, heard you're back in town. I said, yeah. I told him what we were doing. Hey, we're on a hiring freeze. Okay. But we can't have you full-time, but we have part-time work. Of course, I'm going to seminary. Would you be interested? Yes, I would be interested. 20 minutes later, signed on the house. And that is just a detailed remembrance of how God worked. What's your story? What's your story? How has God worked? One pastor said this, a firm hold of all of God's goodness over the years will help us keep hoping for deliverance during the hard times. This, just this week, a brother who's going through a real trial texted me this, very big battle. We are at peace. God is good and, in control, and is in control. Now listen, we've been through the furnace before. Now what does that imply, that last line? God has been faithful as we were in the furnace before. I remember my past victories in Christ. And so I press on by faith to move north in the battle. So, the victory is complete. This is amazing. Verses 32 through 37, in the defeat of Og and Sihon, the word all is repeated over and over and over in all his people, all the cities, all the land. When God promises a victory with the perfect tense, is it a partial victory? When God gives victory, is he partially successful? When God makes a promise, does he fulfill 90% of it? No. 100%, 100% of the time, we have this hope that he cannot lie, and this hope is an anchor for our soul. Let me tell you something. I'm so glad my sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, I'm glad that my death is not partially defeated. I'm glad that on that day, the devil and his demons are not going to be only partially defeated. I'm so thankful that God gave the victory. How do we know? We celebrated it last week. He came forth from the grave. He's alive. The victory is certain. 
So we can taunt death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil, toil, is not in vain in the Lord. Let's take the lamp. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this seemingly obscure passage, Lord, that teaches us about our great God, about the nature of of our battle, about the promises and certainty of our victory and the necessity of fighting by faith. Make us, Lord, to look especially at perhaps some of the lies that we're struggling to put off and help us, Lord, to replace those with the truth of your word. And Father, we all say in this room, Lord, we do believe. We're not going anywhere. But Lord, we believe. But help our unbelief. Help us. And Father, we recognize the battles that many are facing even in this fellowship. Some are remain un, unspoken at this point. Some we've been praying about. Lord, there's battles even with health issues. I pray for our brother Dean, as he goes into surgery this Friday, he would put his eyes upon you. Pray also for the Wester family, for Joanne and Barry, as they have received some hard news this week. We're thankful for that the nodule is really walled off well. We pray for comfort of your spirit and the word of God to flood the Wester family, that we could be an encouragement to them that your spirit would be an encouragement to them. The doctors would have much wisdom in this battle. And Father, we're thankful for each other and for what you're doing in our lives. Help us now to walk together and to recognize we're not fighting alone. We'll come to that next week. Thank you for the book of Deuteronomy. Thank you that every word of God is precious to us and applicable to us. These things indeed, as the scriptures in the New Testament say, were written in the old for our instruction. We've seen that today and we're thankful for it. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus.